Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. everybody and to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Hit that little bell. We're told it's very, very helpful. And today... We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Anthony Stefano, and Anthony has written a new book, Our Ladies Picture Book. And for those of you who are not familiar with Anthony, I want to give him a brief introduction. Um, Anthony Stefano is a best-selling author of 20 Christian books for adults and children, including A Travel Guide to Heaven, 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To, The Donkey No One Else Could Ride, and Little Star. He has hosted two TV series on EWTN, and his books have been endorsed by the National Day of Prayer Committee. Also, he has appeared on The 700 Club, Fox and Friends, Huckabee, and many other national media shows. He is a member of the Knights of Malta, the Militia Immaculata, and Legatus, as well as being a longtime pro-life activist. Anthony Stefano, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure, Anthony. It's shocking. Three Italian guys talking about the Blessed Mother. I love it. There's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> we need happen. more of that in America. I'm telling you right now. Right. Uh, our custom is we always start with a prayer, Anthony, because all good things start with a prayer, and this is a very good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, Mary never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Lord incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So, Ant, this book is a sequel uh, to another one of your best-selling books, Our Lady's Wardrobe. Tell us a little bit about that book before we get into the topic for today. Sure. Our Lady's Wardrobe came out last year and it was a uh, tremendous bestseller, one of my most best-selling books. And uh, the purpose of that book was to introduce children to the Blessed Virgin Mary <clears throat> through, some of, uh, through some of the clothes that she wore during her well-known approved apparitions. You know, I noticed one day uh, during Eucharistic adoration, there were all these pictures of male saints, St. Joseph, St. Francis, St. Anthony, and they all looked the same. You know, like, 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 like men, they all sort of dress, you know, without too much distinction, you know, brown drab robes, and you could pretty much interchange them. So unlike Our Lady, who always appeared in these gorgeous, beautiful, colorful dresses, like a, like a, a, a real woman. And I thought, wouldn't this be a fun way to introduce children to Our Lady by showing some of her well-known apparitions, telling the stories, showing the clothes, and in the process of doing that, imparting the message of what the mission uh, of Our Lady is, which is to bring us close uh, to her son, Jesus Christ. So that was the first book. It did so well. But at the time, I knew that, you know, Mary has so many titles. She has so many devotions that aren't tied to her apparitions. So I knew even then that I wanted to do a sequel and sort of cover all of Mary's main titles. This way, the two books taken together would be a, uh, a simple yet comprehensive uh, introduction to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary for children. You know what I love about what you just said, that you were in adoration and the thought came to your head. That is so important. Could you talk just a little bit about that? Because, I, I mean, a personal story, I, I, in adoration, I go to adoration often. My wife does as well. I remember when I was getting married and I was in adoration and a voice came and meant, you have to buy a house. Like, and, and I did. I mean, God speaks to us in adoration. He clearly spoke to you. Talk a little bit about that. God speaks to us 
in different ways. As, as you all know, he can speak to us through our friends. He could speak to us through our reading. He could speak to us in any way through the, a beautiful scene of nature. But he also speaks to us very uh, int- intimately through the sacraments, through mass especially, uh, through powerful prayers like the rosary, and through Eucharistic adoration, which is, of course, when we encounter Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity right there in front of us. And I found, to be perfectly honest with you and your viewers, that I haven't been someone who's loved Mass, for instance, my entire life. I haven't loved going to adoration. I haven't even loved saying the rosary. I do all that. But do you know what's interesting? That's exactly when God speaks to me most, during those times. It's during Mass that I've had the idea for two. My first book, Travel Guide to Heaven, was during a homily uh, many, many years ago. Uh, my second book, 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To, I had that idea while I was praying one of the mysteries of, of the rosary. And several children's books ideas came to me during Eucharistic adoration, which is a sign to me that God wants me at those places. You know, he wants to keep a short leash on me. He wants me always before him because that's when he communicates with me most. And it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily tied to how emotionally wonderful we feel about it. You know, we may feel closer to God when we're out there on a beach or enjoying nature, but that's not the point. The point is that's God is at adoration and at mass in a special, unique way. And Catholics can't forget that because God will communicate with them in a special way at those times. Excellent. (laughs) Um, For our ladies picture book, I mean, what's the primary age, you know, this is um, basically targeted at, and is it basically a tool that for parents or is it a tool for say Catholic schools? Well, you know, I joke around, but I'm serious when I say that I write my children's books for, for, for uh, children who are age three to 103. Nice. <laughs> uh, I am keenly aware that parents are reading these books to their children. Older siblings are reading these books. Aunts and uncles are reading these books. Grandparents are reading these books. So they're reading these books to the children. This is a great opportunity to evangelize and catechize them. So I try to make these books, including this one, as simple as I can, so that little children as young as three or two even might be fascinated by the pictures, you know, and they would understand it at four, five, and six, but that even when they're older, for a full-grown adult, uh, it would be possible for them to read it and learn something. Because, you know, even take this book about, uh, about Our Lady. Many Catholics don't know about various images like Our Lady of Perpetual Help or Our Lady Mother of Mercy. They're not really aware of those stories behind those devotions. And sometimes they're a little confused that Mary has so many titles and images, they wonder why. So it's an opportunity to teach them about Mary. And, and that nothing pleases me more than when an adult comes to me and says, you know, I was reading this book to my, ch- my child and I learned something or I had forgotten something and it made an impact on me. Oh, and as far as your question about uh, uh, Catholic schools, you know, I write these books for parents. The, the, the family is the first church, as we all know. I am always very gratified when they're used in CCD and, and, and other kinds of Catholic courses, but I write them primarily for the family. Excellent. Um, and the ch- children obviously can relate to having a, a loving mother whom they can always call on for help. How is that idea presented by, you mentioned the image of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, which is in your book. Tell us, tell us about that image. You know, Our Lady of Perpetual Help is an ancient image of devotion to Our Lady, and it's based on the story that uh, when Jesus was a little boy, he woke up uh, one night uh, after having a nightmare, and he was screaming. And, he, and what he in this nightmare, he saw the instruments of torture. He saw a cross. He saw a spear. He saw the instruments uh, of crucifixion. And he was very frightened by these images. So he ran to his mother, into his mother's arms. And of course, Our Lady consoled him. Um, and this image is very famous. Uh, and it's an icon in, in the Byzantine art. And, and it's, it's, it's in many, many churches. And the reason why I included it here was because we all get afraid. 
fear is one of the biggest problems. It may be the biggest problem in the world. Everyone, not just children. Adults are afraid because of family problems and money problems and problems with their children and their marriages. And, and most of all, they're afraid that they don't have what it takes to overcome all their problems. So they get afraid. And children, of course, get afraid, you know, the, when, the, when the lights are out, you know. So we, we, it, it's so important for us to know that we can turn to Our Lady for consolation. You know, when God was a little child, God himself sought consolation in the arms of, of the Virgin Mary. And we're called to imitate Christ. So if, if God, God, Christ, who is God, would be consoled by his mother, so will we, and we should turn to her. And that's why I included that image in this book. You know, you mentioned fear. I think that's, you know, not just for kids, because obviously, you know, I have four kids. I'm going to ask you a question specifically about, uh, you know, helping me to guide them. Um, But just in terms of fear itself, obviously kids get scared at night, the dark, but adults, I think fear stops us from moving forward in our faith so much. It's, it's a tool of the devil. It limits us. If, if we could like basically have that, it's, I believe courage is one of the fruits of the Holy spirit. You know, sometimes we worry about things that just don't happen and, and to have that devotion to our lady who clearly um, face things that, you know, the average person never had to face. I mean, like, you know, from the very beginning at the Annunciation straight through to Christ's crucifixion. Um, overcoming our fear is so important and having such a devotion, not just to kids, but to adults is 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 vital. I mean, could you talk a little bit about that image more specifically for an adult that say was is looking at that book, gearing it towards the child? Because I think they could learn equally from it. Yeah, and I think several images in the book are addressed towards this uh, subject of fear because I do think it's 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 the biggest problem that we as adults have. Fear, as you just said, is paralyzing. You start worrying about a thousand different things. You know, the, the saying, a coward dies a thousand deaths, a brave man only one. But we're all of us cowards at, at different times, and we envision all these horrible scenarios that might occur, and in reality, Probably none of them are going to occur. Uh, the Bible says in one translation, uh, fear is useless. What is needed is trust. Amen. Fear is useless. What is needed is trust. That's what Jesus Christ told the parents of the little girl who he was about to raise. Everyone was afraid. Everyone was crying. And he said, no, fear is useless. What, what you need to do is trust. And that's what that's the single most important lesson that all of us can learn. Catholics, Protestants, everyone who believes in God. You've got to believe, you've got to trust that God who is in the future. See, we live in the present. We have a past, present, and a future. God is eternally present. He's already in the future. He's already five years from now, 10 years from now. He knows what's going to happen. And he's brought you to this point in your life, and he's going to bring you to that point in your life. You have to entrust yourself to him, knowing that he knows what's best, that he has a bigger plan. Now, that's, that could sound very cliche and very trite when someone is going through something um, fearful. But the truth of the matter is, at those times, you may have some viewers right now that are afraid of something in their lives. It could be financial. It could be a health problem. The simplest prayers they can say that will help them are, Jesus, I trust in you. Immaculate Heart of Mary, I place all my trust in you. All they have to say is those two prayers over and over again and try not to think about everything else. Just entrust themselves to our, our Lord and his mother, and that will that will help them. Believe me, it will help them if they listen to that. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we're having a great conversation with Anthony Stefano talking about his new book, Our Lady's Picture Book. So go ahead, Joe. You know, and, and, and another thing about like praying to Our Lady, uh, particularly this image of Our Lady of Perpetual Help is grace. You know, you mentioned everything you said sounds absolutely it's on point, Anthony. Absolutely. And, and I'm on board, but I'm me. 
and 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 obviously i have flaws and i have weaknesses but our lady gives us grace to overcome ourselves especially when we have a devotion towards her and especially to overcome fear because you know here we are during this covid time people are in financial distress there's so much fear out there the media is pumping fear into people constantly. Talk about grace, the grace that's transmitted through Our Lady, through images like Our Lady of Perpetual Help, through images like Our Lady of the Rosary to help us, not just children, but adults to move forward. Well, Our Lady is full of grace, as you know, Our Lady full of grace. And grace is help from God. There's two types of grace, sanctifying grace and actual grace, but the grace you're talking about is help from God, okay? And Mary is full of it. And not only is that, is she full of grace, but Catholics believe that she is the mediatrix of graces. She has the great honor and privilege in heaven of being the dispenser of all those graces won by her son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So, Mary actually gives out all the graces, even to people who don't know that they're coming through Mary, they are. So she's someone we, we must go uh, in order to obtain grace. And um, I'm thinking of Our Lady of the Rosary, for instance. Uh, whenever Catholics have been in dire straits during our history, whenever we've had to face overwhelming odds, popes and saints have always told the people of faith to pray the rosary. The rosary is the prayer of the gospel. It's the only, it's the only prayer of the body and the soul. When you pray the rosary, you are immersed in the gospel. You are literally immersed in the gospel. Protestants criticize Catholics for not knowing the Bible. Well, when we pray the rosary, we're living inside the gospel every single day. So, uh, for instance, the famous Battle of Lepanto, which took place in the 1500s, which I have a picture of in this book, the um, uh, Christian forces the whole of the Holy League felt, faced overwhelming forces against them, the Muslims, the, uh, the Ottoman Navy. Had we lost that battle, the, um, the Muslims would have had full access to the Americas, and, and we would have been practicing Islam today. That's what would have happened. And they would have gone down and made a direct path to Rome and, 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 and conquered Rome. So the Pope told all the faithful to pray the rosary, and they did, and we overcame incredible, incredible odds. Uh, and that's why uh, after that, the Pope instituted the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, which he then changed to, our, which they, the church changed to Our Lady of the Rosary later. But think about that today. You just said something about what we face the media is against us. The academic world is against us. Hollywood and the entertainment industry is against us. The government is against us. A lot of people inside the church are against us. We are facing overwhelming odds. You have to be blind not to know that we are in the midst of a monumental cultural, religious, spiritual war. And, and, and we're against overwhelming odds. So again, just like the popes and saints of old, we have got to pray that rosary. We've got to ask Mary to give us those graces to help us to, to beat those overwhelming odds. One of the things that, uh, Andy, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that Joe and I usually do on our, um, on our podcast, on social media, we try to emphasize, as you just described, there's a lot going on out there, a lot of problems in the political world. Uh, certainly our culture is rotten, okay? And I think a lot of people, especially podcasters, are out there talking about the individual issues. And those are important to talk about, and we need to talk about them, okay? But Joe and I try to emphasize on the show all the time is that you're looking for a political solution to a moral problem. You're looking for a political solution to this spiritual darkness that we have now in America that we're seeing in our culture, and that the need to invoke God's help is, is the first thing you ought to do. And we, I'm glad you brought up Lepanto. We bring up Lepanto all the time because I don't think enough Catholics know about Lepanto and what those men face, the odds that they face. But they went, they prayed the rosary and they went to confession and then they went into battle. And we need a little bit more of that in our culture to emphasize to people that, yes, look to Our Lady of the Rosary. Okay, understand why she gave the prayer to St. Dominic. Okay, understand how it's been used over the centuries. I think it would be a, a much better help if people did that in America rather than arguing about politics. Do that first, then argue about the politics. I think it'll be a, a, a infinitely more valuable. 
Yes, I think you're, you're absolutely right. We're involved in a spiritual war. There's no question it's a spiritual war. And therefore, in order to win a spiritual war, you have to use spiritual weapons. You can't just win the spiritual war by using secular weapons. Now, that said, we don't want to give the impression that it's not important to go into the political sphere. The oh, same hands that we raise in, to God in prayer, those are the same hands that pull the lever down in the voting booth, you know, and, and we, we cannot, we cannot divorce ourselves. We cannot let our, our b- beliefs in Christ and, and Mary and our, and our religion and our morals be divorced from our behavior. So they all can work in unison, but I absolutely agree with what you're saying, that, 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 that we need to start with the basics, which is mass, the rosary, Eucharistic adoration, repentance, all the things that Mary told us during some of her apparitions. I think the great thing here too, and I'm gonna hand it over to Joe, is that this is a book for parents to use to to help to form their children in the faith, and the rosary is central to that. So thank you for that, Anthony. I'm gonna hand it over to Joe. And I'm a big rosary guy, Anthony. My wife and I have been married seven years. Literally, I don't think there's been one night that we have not prayed the rosary together. And this image of Our Lady of the Rosary is in your book. How can that image basically teach parents to communicate to their children the importance of praying the rosary as a family? Patrick Payton said the family that prays together stays together. Talk about that and how that book can be used to communicate that very essential life tool. Yes. Well, yeah, first of all, the, uh, the, my first book, Our Lady's Wardrobe, was, was dedicated to Our Lady of the Rosary, just so you know. This book was double, de- dedicated to Our Lady of Lords, but I dedicated that book to, the, to Our Lady of the Rosary because I feel just as you do, that the rosary is the key here. Um, the image of Our Lady of the Rosary has Our Lady uh, uh, holding Jesus and, 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 and Jesus is standing on the world standing on the, a globe. Now that Im- image is very important because we are at battle, we're in battle with the world. And the world is what we're talking about here, we're, whether it's uh, any kind of suffering that you're undergoing, the health problems, financial problems, or whether it's all these political, you know, uh, moral uh, problems that, we're ha- that we have to contend with. But Jesus said, you know, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And the image of Our Lady of the Rosary is Jesus standing on the world, meaning that he's overcome the world. So if you want to protect your children from the world, meaning from all the, all the, uh, the people that are going to attack them in the future for their faith, as well as all the suffering and fear that's going to come their way by living in the world, then the best thing to do is to have them pray to Our Lady of the Rosary because that very image shows Christ overcoming the world. And that's the way I, I, I wanted to present it in, the, in, in this book. That's fantastic. From a very, honestly, that is fantastic. And I can't emphasize that enough to the listeners. Praying the Rosary, as Padre Pio said, is the weapon. Our Lady of Fatima asked us to pray the Rosary. I'm going to listen to our mother. I'm going to do it. Um, Anthony, from a very practical perspective, I'm a father of four, children under six. My house is a nut house, um, but it's fun. <laughs> I got to be honest. Um, obviously, we teach our children about the Catholic faith. It's very important to my wife and I. The, the things I try to articulate, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who try to do the same, is basically when we talk about Our Lady, we try to say Mary's our mother. Mary is the best model of the faith. Mary said yes to God, and so can we. How does your book communicate those three simple messages? Because I'm sure other parents out there want to communicate that just as myself and my wife. Yes, that's beautiful what you just said. And I don't explicitly articulate just the, the way you've done it in that book. I've done that through images, through pictures, through the stories of the apparitions and through the stories of these devotions. But what I think has comes crystal clear is the fact that Mary is our mother. Mary's purpose when she came, when she was living on earth, what was her purpose? To give birth to Jesus Christ, to give birth to Jesus Christ. Well, that's what she continues to do today. 
she continues to give birth to Jesus Christ. If, if you're praying the rosary or you're praying a prayer to Mary in your house, Mary is going to give birth to Jesus in your house. If you do that in the workplace, Jesus is going to be born in your workplace. Mary, wherever Mary is for all eternity, she's giving birth to Jesus. The same with the fact that Mary is the first missionary. Uh, in my book, Our Lady's Wardrobe, I show an image of, of uh, Mary visiting Elizabeth. Well, when, when Mary visited Elizabeth following the Annunciation, she was carrying Jesus in her womb. She was the first missionary bringing Christ to others. So she was the first missionary, and today she continues to be a missionary. Wherever she goes, she brings Christ to whoever she visits. So the, these books, by showing the images of Mary visiting us, by showing these uh, famous images of Mary over the centuries, holding Jesus, yeah, that point about Mary uh, giving birth to Christ, being our mother, and being our model, I think comes through loud and clear. You mentioned your book, Our Lady of the Wardrobe. Did you discuss in that book specifically Our Lady of Guadalupe, how she was pregnant and how basically how she was dressed was very um, attuned to the culture at that time? Because a lot of people don't know about that, is particularly the fact that she is pregnant. That's one of my favorite images of, of our Blessed Mother. Yes, Can talk a little lady, bit about that? Our Lady uh, of Guadalupe is the patroness of the pro-life movement. Amen. For that very reason, because she's pregnant, she had a black ribbon that she was wearing around her, which signified that she was pregnant. Um, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, after that image was promulgated, uh, you know, that it, the Aztec culture at that time uh, was a culture in which children were sacrificed. Hundreds of thousands of children were sacrificed. And as a result of that image, the whole Aztec world was converted. Uh, and isn't that something we need today? Aren't we immersed in a civilization, a society that is killing its children? Don't we need Our Lady of Guadalupe more than ever? So again, while I didn't explain exactly what you're saying in the book, because this book is introduced, what I the purpose of this book was to introduce these images to children for the first time, to get them to see them and say, wow, that's beautiful, and get them to hear the words through rhymes. It's, it's really up to the parents, and as they get older, to learn more fully about what you're just saying. It would have been a little bit too much to go into child sacrifice, for instance. In no, that. I, I completely understand but, that. But by introducing them to beautiful images, which show um, the, the Virgin giving the image to Juan Diego, let's say, which is in Our Lady's wardrobe. I think that the message comes through. Anthony, we have about, um, we have a couple minutes left, about two minutes left. We really like, um, and I think us three paisans with a devotion to Our Lady, we could go on for hours about this. Unfortunately, we only have the, the one segment. Uh, just some final thoughts, things you might want to emphasize to our audience. And most importantly, where can parents go out and buy your book? Well, they can get it anywhere through uh, Amazon, through EWTN, uh, through Sophie Institute Press, through Catholic bookstores, uh, if they were open through Barnes and Nobles. My books are pretty much everywhere, so you can get it online anywhere, uh, pretty much. But the thing I want to emphasize is this. There are a lot of people out there, especially Protestants, that are afraid of being devoted to Our Lady. They think that somehow it's going to take away from their love and their devotion to Jesus Christ. That is nonsense. They've got to get rid of that fear. You can never be as close to Our Lady as Jesus Christ is. You can never love Our Lady as much as Jesus Christ does. And we are called to imitate Christ. And that means we're called to love his mother. We should never be afraid of that. The closer you get to Mary, the closer you're going to you're gonna get to Jesus. The closer she's going to bring you to her son. So don't be afraid. Make sure those children have a strong devotion to Our Lady and that will protect them their entire lives. One Excellent. quick question, Anthony, your favorite image in the book. I think in this particular book, Our Lady Star of the Sea, I think is the most beautiful image. Uh, and you know, that image has to do with Mary is uh, related to the, the North Star. You know, the North Star is, is up above the, the North Celestial Pole and it never, it doesn't move. And so sailors in the sea, when they're lost, they, they see the North Star and it leads them to true north. Well, like us in life, when we're lost and we need to find our true north, which is Jesus Christ, 
We look for Mary and she shows us the way. So many of us are lost in this life and Mary shows us the way. So that's the image that's my favorite. That is an excellent place to end the conversation, Anthony. We want to thank you so much for all of you joining us. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Great conversation with Anthony DiCefano. Go out and buy his book, especially if you're parents, okay? Um, it is a must. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll talk to you soon. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Racinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our content. And please follow Joe and I on social media. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe on Facebook and YouTube. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by none other than Raymond Arroyo to discuss his new book, The Thief who stole heaven. Now, not that anybody in our audience does not know who Raymond is. However, a brief intro. Uh, Raymond Arroyo is an internationally known award-winning journalist, producer, New York Times bestselling author, Fox News contributor, news director, managing editor, and lead anchor for EWTN News, and is seen in more than 350 million homes on six continents each week. Raymond Arroyo, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Well, Joe Squared, thank you for having me. Delighted to be <laughs> with you. Um, all right, Joe. Ray, we always start with the prayer. It's our custom because all good things okay. start with the prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name, name of, of the, the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit amen. amen. Remember, O most, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Ray, before we get into the meat and potatoes, I did want to clarify something for our audience. Okay. The Thief Who Stole Heaven, your new book, um, I had heard that it was a children's book, but it's right. not a children's book. It's no, it is not. It's a family book. Um, and before we get into the you know, the content, uh, tell our audience about that. How is this a family book as opposed to a children's book? Well, you know, uh, uh, children's books are often relegated to kind of, you know, oh, that's for the kiddies. Uh, in truth of fact, when I discussed discovered this story of the good thief. My first thought was, how do I get families to read this? So I consider this book, uh, even The Spider Who Saved Christmas before it, a family read. And I say that because the audience for the book is 108 to five. I mean, that's, you know, there's a big span there. And I wanted the cross-generational talk, those conversations about what this story means, what it means today. And look, we all know the good thief. Everybody's heard of the good thief, but he's one of those figures that's kind of like a wise man. You know, he pops up for a, a, a little season, he's there for a day, and then they're gone. Uh, and I thought, wait a minute, once I discovered the origin of this good thief, and it's more than a legend. You know, Augustine writes about the, the good thief, Dismas, um, uh, John Chrysostom, Peter Damian, uh, Gregory the Great. I mean, th there's actual substantive uh, accounts of his early life. And I thought, why have I never heard this? So originally I was going to write a novella or a short novel about Dismas. But as I dug into it, I thought the best way for families to get this is to put it into a picture book. But it's a meaty picture book. There's a lot there um, beyond the, the rollicking kind of adventure in the foreground that the younger audiences will appreciate. And I think between the pictures as well as the text, uh, something else emerges. And I hope, you know, uh, something that lingers with the readers and those um, encountering it. Right. In, in doing research for this interview, because to be honest with you, what I know about the good thief is what's only in the Bible. I mean, it's sure. a story that all people know, but it's right. very short. Um, I discovered that to your point, St. Augustine talked about his encounter with the Holy Family. I did not know that. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about that? 
Well, I, I didn't know it either. I mean, look, all, all we know is the final act of this guy's life. And I have to say, as a storyteller, as a reporter, I always kind of question, why does he suddenly, this thief, this murderer hanging on a cross, suddenly rush to the defense of this preacher from Nazareth and say, oh, you know, remember me in your kingdom, uh, you know, and, and, and Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise on this day. And I thought, this comes out of left field. You know, it's kind of random. I mean, he just encounters this guy who's crucified next to him. Suddenly he's defending him. So it makes sense to me when I came across these earlier stories of a boy abandoned, um, falling into this tribe of thieves who teach him their ways to be a robber, that he might have encountered this Jesus of Nazareth at an earlier time. And the story goes, I don't want to, I won't put too many spoilers here, but uh, the story goes that as a young thief, he encountered the Holy Family on their flight to Egypt and with the intention of robbing them. But he is so transfixed, amazed by this child that um, a moment transpires between them. It's a brush of grace. And, you know, I guess when you step away from the story, you're left with the idea that grace comes, it, it, it crashes into your life at times when you don't expect it, when you're not ready for it, but there's an opportunity for you there. And this thief, after having this occasion of grace, he recognizes the power of this child. He even makes a deal with that child, which I won't ruin here. And I took that from St. Augustine, uh, the lines that I use in the book. But uh, he, he he's drawn to the divinity of the baby, yet he continues to make really bad choices. And I thought, this is like a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, a lot of Christians, a lot of people in the world. Um, even when they have those great opportunities, those moments of grace, they walk away and keep going. With the good thief, he gets a second chance. And the lesson here, if there's a lesson to be gleaned, I think, is that mercy endures forever. And none of us are lost. None of us. Amen. And that glance of God was a big thing for me as I wrote this book. Um, between the illustrations and in the text, the glance of God that falls upon all of us and that doesn't leave us until we leave the earth is an important theme that works itself out both in the pictures as well as the text of the book. Right. You mentioned grace and you mentioned the glimpse of God. I don't want to spoil it for the listeners out there, but in the book, I thought this was very subtle, but brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, the thief is getting arrested. And in the far corner is a picture of Christ and the disciples. Right. And what I thought, and maybe, you know, if I'm right or wrong, please tell me, was mm -hmm. even in his worst moment, he's getting arrested. God is there. And his presence is with us even in our worst moments. Could you talk right. a little bit about that? Because I thought that was subtle, but I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, that's a neat little Easter egg. We again, I look. I've spent my life telling stories with pictures on television, and you know, on 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 uh, with specials and uh, uh, live events. Uh, it's really important, I think, to communicate on all those levels. So, yeah, we put Randy Gallagos, the illustrator, and I thought we should put a little Easter egg there where like the thief, the reader doesn't catch, but on the frame of the, of the shot, let me see if I can find it. Um, there's a, there, there's Jesus and the apostles passing by Dismas as he gets arrested. Now this is when he's a grown man uh, much later in the story, but it's, it's very subtle. So your eye falls here on the action happening here, but in the corner of the image, you'll see Jesus and St. Peter and James walking by, taking note of this. But they, but again, he's almost invisible to us as he is to Dismas at that moment. But you're right. The presence of God doesn't abandon us. And that grace and that glance and that mercy endures. And that's sort of what we wanted to imply by that, through that illustration. It's amazing. The kids the kids always see that, uh, you know, they find Jesus in the, you know, it's kind of my where's Waldo, where's Jesus? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, this is another thing that I find interesting. Um, in your other book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas, you yeah. also have uh, a notation of Dismas. And it says to me, is he special to you? 
Like, like, is you know, this he, about that character? I, I, I just stumbled upon him. I, he, I had no real connection to him. There was a Dismas house here in New Orleans, um, you know, that cared for uh, uh, men who were, you know, down on their luck. Uh, so there was that, there was that, that, that was my only real reference. But again, like most people, I only knew him from the final act. He's hanging on the cross. He stands up to the crowd for Jesus, and he's promised to get to heaven. But when you step back and you see the entirety of this life, uh, the child to the young man to the to the older guy who's you know crucified next to Jesus, you realize of all the people in the world of saints, apostles, Mary, of uh, the popes, it is this thief, this degenerate criminal, who enters the kingdom of heaven. First, Dismas is the first story of Christmas, of Easter, rather, of Easter. He's a neat bridge between Christmas and Easter because he is the only person, aside from Our Lady, who is there at Jesus's birth early on and when he's crucified. Dismas is the only one, if you believe this story. Well, go ahead, Joe. No, I was going to say, that's a great, it is a great story because it's all of our stories. It's it's all of our stories and and in the world, uh, Joe and I, we do, obviously we do a lot of, you know, political, cultural commentary. So we see a lot of the depressing things, Raymond, that are going on in the world. You don't say. Yes. Well, you might know a little bit about that too. Uh, But this story You know why it it, it hits me more that I feel like this conversation is providential because I I've always somewhat prayed the chaplet of the divine mercy. Mm -hmm. I I find myself praying it every day now, along with the rosary Mm -hmm. to remind myself Mm -hmm. the need or the the need for mercy and how abundant that mercy actually is. Talk about Raymond, if you would briefly, how important a message is that for this modern world that seems to be living in a tremendous amount of fear and despair. Well, we're, we're also in an age of condemnation. Um, the cancel culture that you're seeing, all of that is a lack of forgiveness, a wanting of mercy. Um, we need to return to this root. It is who uh, Jesus was and is. It's what this season of Easter is about. It's about repentance and forgiveness, even for the death of God, as my friend Father Richard Newhouse used to say. You know, who are we humans that we are worthy of the death of God? Um, Those are things to be considered this Easter. And this is a neat way in. The the Thief Who Stole Heaven is kind of an interesting way for a family and younger audiences, along with their parents and, and elders, to enter into this Easter story and begin to consider it from a different side glance, you know, and I I, like the spider who saved Christmas. I love the idea of entering these stories from a different place because it gives you a whole new perspective on it. And that's what happened when I stumbled across these little footnotes and side mentions of this good thief. And it all kind of came together for me. And then I chased down the trail. And this is a synthesis of so many of these writings that I thought should somehow be preserved and popularized so that families could make it a part of their tradition. He's a much more important figure than, frankly, I ever thought, the the, the good thief. And he's there for a reason. But I do feel like so many of the scriptural accounts. Remember, this is a very fragile oral history. People take the Bible and think the Bible is like, you know, uh, Herman Woke you know, that it was one guy who wrote it and it's a self-contained volume. No, these are strands and pieces of oral tradition, lived experience that were kind of collected and then finally written down. There was a lot lost in the oral tradition, you know, in the in the in the march up to that to the, the, the canon as we have it today. So, you know, I, I mean, I also often go back to that line. Everything that Jesus did is not contained here. You know, it says it, I think, at the end of John. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's all those little strands, the cracks in the scripture, the shadows around the corners of the scripture. And that's what this story attempts to fill. Just one little bit of. Um, It may not be entirely true, but I think it has more validity than not because of the sources 
who uh, recreated the story and preserved it. Uh, everyone from Augustine to Jerome to Peter Damien to Gregory the Great, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Then you get into the mystics, which I thought was too much and would blow people's minds. So I didn't go <laughs> down that path. I kind of stuck to the historical record and the church fathers. Excellent. So you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network, being joined by Raymond Arroyo to talk about his new book, which you must go out and buy. We'll give you the information on at the end. The Thief Who Stole Heaven. Go ahead, Joe Racinello. Obviously, the story of this gentleman, um, there's a great arc. It's from sin to conversion. <laughs> this is yep. the arc of, I guess, all the saints to some degree. Saints, many saints were sinners, and then they changed their life. There's a lot to be like vetted from this character, um, from my perspective. He does not ask to be taken down from the cross. He accepts what is due him. Mm -hmm. This is not a message of the culture. No. He also has hope in a world outside of this world, which is also the idea of all Christians. I mean, we are in the world, but not of the world. We were put in the world to use our gifts and talents to bring the greater glory of God to this world. Talk about that as the message. Was this something you had in mind that you want to communicate to your no, no, no. I don't. I, I really I try. Look, uh, my job as a storyteller is to tell the story as clearly and convincingly and hopefully with passion and energy uh, with an eye for the audience. So it entertains. That's my job. Messages, uh, the values taken from it, the moral. That's your job as the, <laughs> as the reader. You know, I don't get into that. That's your job because I've got letters here on my desk from, uh, you know, a, a young girl whose father was in prison. And she said, after reading this book, I realized God loves my daddy, even though he did bad things, he still loves him. And I thought maybe this is the little girl the whole book was written for, you know, just for her. Um, so I've got other people who are, you know, facing a life crisis, they're uh, a health crisis and they're guilt ridden over the things they've done. They read the book by accident to a to a friend's kid. And, and, and you know, the woman's breaking down in tears. She wrote this big review on Amazon. So you never know who it's going to touch and how, which is why I always I, I'm, I'm not into messages, you know, or self-expression. I'm into telling a story well and clearly and cleanly and uh, getting into the hearts and minds of this particular character. So whether it's Mother Angelica or Will Wilder or Dismas, my job is to get into those characters and feel my way through their journey truthfully. If I do that, you will fill in the rest. It's really the reader's job to do 60% of the lifting here. We only put the word, arrange the words on the paper. You do the, that imaginative work of entering into the heart and soul of Dismas. But I love that the story has the power, and it's why I think it's true. It has the power to move people deeply, convict them. Um, and you're right. I mean, to my eye, when I read it, I'll tell you what I think when I read it though I don't want to invalidate anybody else's take on it. Uh, when I read it, I see a man who is encrusted and covered over with bad choices. I mean, this guy was a killer. Gregory the Great said he killed his brother. There's a there's one of the spreads with a guy cleaning a, a, a sword next to Dismas when he's got all the loot in his hands. That's the brother, okay? But I don't get into that side story. It was too much, and it's too much for a family read. But... Dismiss the word, the name means death or sunset. So this is not a happy kind of, you know, a guy who was a pickpocket. No, no. He was killing people to take their money. So he was a hardened criminal, uh, a, a guy who made horrible choices and hurt a lot of people. And still, at the end of his life, the glance of God allows him to see what is good and true. And that itself is a mercy as far as I'm concerned. So, um, he again allows himself to be pulled in by that glance of God. And the glance of God is so powerful, um, so uh, awesome and overwhelming that it cuts through all of those bad decisions and all of that sin. And as you said, he accepts his punishment. He knows he's hanging on that cross for a reason. And he also figures out pretty quickly, this guy didn't do anything wrong. Mm. And, and so he rushes to his defense. So it's the great act. Again, that's how he stole heaven. That's how he cinches the deal at the very end through the, the, the good act of his life. And it ends up being a repeat of an earlier good act. 
that involved this same Jesus of Nazareth. Awesome. I want to just actually, I just want to say one more thing because it's the illustrations are fantastic, Ray. And I can't, I I have to like say that to our listeners out there, the way you synced up the written word to the illustrations, I thought was fantastic. And that's, well, that's, yeah, that's Randy Galagos's great work. Randy did my previous book and this one. And, you know, I frame up and tell him what I'm looking for. And then we go back and forth like haggle uh, over, you know, the name of a kid, Uh, you know, we haggle over each illustration and what should be there and the, the use of light. If you notice, we, you know, early on, we decided we wanted it very bright at the beginning because he's a young boy, Dismas the good thief is. And then as he goes into his life of crime, things get very dark. They And then they, they almost go to black until the end of the life. So it's an interesting, um, you can do a lot with visual images and you don't have to say anything. So it allowed me to cut a lot of text, which I did, and let the pictures and the audience fill in the gaps. That's a better way to tell a story. I always find, you know, uh, Hitchcock used to say, all you have to do is show them the gun in the first act and the audience will fill in the suspense till the end. And he's right. <laughs> you know, you do that, you plant the seed, the audience really does find its way as, as they go through the story and take it to themselves. Excellent. Raymond, this has been such a great overview of your book and we're going to, we're going to constantly be telling our audience about it and the need to go out and buy it. Oh, you're very kind. Really appreciate it. Uh, just a couple of final things because our audience, we know that we love you. So we know that they love you. Uh, you got a lot of things going on, obviously world over live and all that you're doing on EWTN, uh, Fox and the Laura Ingram show. Uh, what do you got going on? What, what's, what's, what should be, what should we be looking for from Raymond Arroyo in the near future? Well, I am, I am updating and continuing the Will Wilder series. I'm working on book four. Uh, I'm there. Look, you got the first one there. <laughs> four oh, children under that. six, Ray. We're big fans. <laughs> oh, you're very kind. That is my, look, that's my, that's my retreat, uh, Will and Perilous Falls, uh, we, because in many ways we're all in Perilous Falls, guys. I mean, we're all right on the precipice. I know. And when I started that series years ago, who knew how prescient we were? Um, we're all right on the edge. And it's that same battle between good and evil. It's the same one that Will fights and it's the one we fight every day. Um, so I have that. I'm working on some other picture books. I'm not quite ready to talk about them yet, but uh, they're, 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 I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. You know, I like to kind of mix it up and it's really what I'm inspired to do. Again, I, I don't write for myself um, and I get a little annoyed at people who do. Uh, I write for the audience. I write for the, for the, the viewer and the reader um, and create for them. So I always have one eye watching and feeling what do they want now? Not what I particularly want to do right now, but what do they need and want? And how can I satiate that need? So I'm always on the lookout for a good story. That's how I found this one. I, I, you know, I had no attachment to Dismas. I didn't know who he was. I knew the name. I knew the good thief. But the story, it's a really important one, I think, for Easter. And it certainly is deep in my Holy Week um, with that awareness that, you know, of, of, of who this man was and, and how he speaks to us in our in our emptiness and in our wounds and sins um uh, you know people say we need a little christmas but i say we need a little dismas so we'll get some this easter i love the it. only raymond, thief that i hope invades your home this Easter. i love it where uh where can our audience buy the book raymond well you can go buy it at barnes and noble amazon uh ewtn's catalog they all have it uh but the, you know amazon's really fast you can see a preview of the book at discoverlegends.com discoverlegends.com awesome raymond arroyo thank you so much for joining us at the front line with thank you guys we really appreciate anything you got going on we'd love to have you back on i know this was a short conversation but we feel this was a great conversation we'll do it next time thank you guys happy easter happy holy week God bless you. you. Thank you, Raymond. You too. All right. So yeah, that is, that is an important story. Um, you know, the need for the need for mercy, um, the need, you know, to, to emphasize the people, you know, you know, as Raymond has done in his, um, in his, uh, in his book and it, you know, it's, and, you know, so I was thinking in my mind because a lot of times, uh, a lot of times, you know, you know, people, people have a wrong view of mercy. A lot of times people, let's say for argument's sake, they, um, they, they, you know what it is, Joe, the way I like to describe it is a lot of people say that, well, every, it seems like everybody goes to heaven or everybody goes to hell. 
because people have take those two, you know, two extreme points of view because they don't understand, you know, what mercy is more importantly, the importance of recognizing, let's say in this case with Raymond Arroyo writing about Dismas, that there is no sin that's that, that Christ cannot forgive. I mean, do you, do you, do you? Absolutely. The thing I think that's important when you talk about mercy is mercy is not deserved. It's given. You see, this goes against the narrative of the culture. And I think this is the great uh, message. One of the great messages of this book that Raymond has, and we definitely recommend to all our listeners to buy it um, because families, I think, have to talk a little bit about this. We all know that the world has gotten to be very cold and angry, um, but mercy is something it's we, we don't deserve it. It's given to us. And once we've received it, we give it to others. You know, that is the sign. Many people say, like, I've been converted. I've had a conversion. Um, many times that's the result of being given. You feel mercy. Mm-hmm. And then when you do, you give it to others. This is like a sign that your conversion has been valid. Um, and every time we go to, con- to the confessional, we get mercy. Mercy is a gift. Mm-hmm. And Christ is there for all of us. I mean, to be honest with you, every single time we go to confession, um, we lay a burden down and Christ gives us basically is mercy. I, I, think, I, I think it's so important. I think it's so very important because Christ tells us this himself in, in the parable of the wicked servants, okay, the, or the wicked servant, who he forgives, the king forgives him of a great debt, a huge debt, a debt he could never have repaid, all right, because the, because the, the debtor, uh, the servant says to the king, um, you know, uh, can you please forgive me? Can you please forgive this? And, and the king forgives him. What is What's the first thing he does? He goes to collect a much, much, much smaller debt from somebody who owes him, and he beats him. Well, that's, that's and, the reaction and, and, of and, us. And that's the problem. I mean, Jesus tells these stories because he's always trying to enlighten us, not necessarily about the world, about ourselves. Don't, don't um, uh, withhold mercy to others when you've been shown a much greater mercy in many cases, you mentioned the saints. The saints were such, I mean, when you look at Francis, when you look at Augustine, they lived dissolute lives, okay? And yet, look at the mercy they were shown, and look at the mercy they show, they showed to others, you know, once they had received that mercy. It's important, because I think a lot of times, you know, we need to remember that as Catholics. In other words, remember, we receive mercy, we give that mercy. That's how, that's how, that's how it all works. God gives it to us. We show it to others and it just keeps, and it, and it, you know, it's just that, that mercy and that love that we've been shown and we show it to others. It's so very important. I'm glad Raymond came, came on the show to talk about the book. But, but, it, but even it, when you, you focus on Dissimus, it's the story. And we talked a little bit about that in the interview, Joe. Um, it's all, it's everyone's story. It's, it's not a coincidence that, on Golgotha, there are two thieves. One is is like named the good thief, and the other is the one that says no. You know, that's basically the judgment. That's all of us. We all have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. A good priest uh, told me this, Father George Sharp. He's a very good priest from New Jersey. He said to me, Joe, no one floats into heaven. What, what did he mean by that? It's a choice. The good thief made a choice. We talked a little bit about that with Raymond. He accepted his lot. He accepted the fact that he was a sinner. Mm. We all have to, to that degree, come to that realization. And then we have to ask God, as he did, remember me Mm -hmm. when you come into your kingdom. We do that by how? Asking for forgiveness. God is always there to the bitter end for all of us. All we have to do is is asked and it's and it's up and down it's up and down the scripture okay in other words yes there is justice god's justice will be paid there's no way around that okay but people need to understand i think the proper relationship between god's justice and his mercy okay um and that's what you see not just in um the story of the wicked servant obviously that's a story you see with dismas um we have about we have about like two and a half minutes can i tell you a quick sure, story please because i came across this and i f- i feel like this this whole conversation with raymond and mercy and dismas is all providential you ever hear of the the gangster dutch schultz you've heard of dutch schultz, right? so dutch schultz for those of you i'm sure everybody's heard of him he was jewish Okay, he was a gangster in the 1920s. Okay, in 1935, people don't know this story, by the way. 
1935, while he was plotting some criminal activity, he was gunned down in Newark, New Jersey, by the way. He was shot in Newark, New Jersey, and he was rushed to a hospital where he registered as a Jew. The next morning, he unexpectedly called for a Catholic priest. Now, catch this, though, because this is a great name. Father Cornelius McInerney. Now, I want to go to confession with Father Cornelius McInerney. Oh, my Lord. Father Cornelius <laughs> McInerney, McInerney was told by Schultz that he wanted to die as a Catholic. Father McInerney baptized him, gave him last rites of the Catholic Church. That night, Schultz died, and he was later buried in a Catholic cemetery. Now, here's the rub. This is why we're talking, why I was bringing up earlier about withholding mercy. There were reportedly several protests concerning the church's acceptance of Schultz. Newspapers opined against this, against it, and people were outraged. And here's the line that the, the writer of this article wrote. He said, they'd obviously forgotten the story about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. You can't be outraged when a sinner repents. You, it, what is the line from scripture? There is greater joy in heaven when, when one sinner repents. Why would anybody be outraged at a person who's lived a very sinful life, okay, who, who at the end of their life, living a terrible life, like Dismas, like Dutch Schultz, okay, Arthur Flegenheimer, okay, who wasn't even Catholic, but he had the grace to ask for forgiveness at the end of his life. Why would there be protests about that? What's, because you know, because I there's don't hatred in our hearts and, and more reason why we need forgiveness. Um, it's like the, the older brother and the prodigal son. Why didn't he go to the party? Why wasn't right. he happy that the younger brother came home? Should have been. Should have been. And that's here for all of us. I guess the big message here, and this is how we'll end this conversation, is this. No matter what you've done, God is there. Mercy is for you. Let's end it there. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. And remember until next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.